Hey everyone, this is Yasmin Pierce. Thanks for joining us for a Circuit Riders podcast. To know us, we are a YWAM missions movement in Huntington Beach, California, with a passion to save the lost, revive the saved, and train them all. These messages were recorded live at our Circuit Rider Experience 21 Project and field training sessions. We collaborate with ministries and leaders across the globe to equip young people that are dedicated to multiplying the message of the gospel. You are listening to a Circuit Rider training podcast. All right, guys, are we ready to rock today? We're talking about love this week, right? Is, is that what, did you announce the theme for the week or no? Start yesterday. My pops talked about mercy, right? I did honor, and then you talked about mercy. Talked about honor, and then you talked about mercy. All right, well, today I want to talk, um, I'm going to be with you guys today and tomorrow, and I want to talk about the love of God for a moment. And the reason I want to talk about the love of God is because we're about to embark on whatever the different phases of this is going to look like. We're going to embark on carry the love. And if you don't understand the true depth of God's heart of love, right? You're consistently going to miss, number one, the whole point of your life. <laughs> number two, creepy laugh right there. <laughs> A lot of that in politics these days. We got to stop the laughing in politics. Um, <laughs> so that's just for me. It's like everybody on the left and the right, just everyone's laughing all the time. I'm like, this is serious. Please get it together fix our country. All right. Take this off the podcast. All right. Um, you know, something so refreshing this is a total offshoot. And then we'll jump back into this. What happened right in the beginning of when Israel's becoming a nation, God's heart is grieved because Israel demands a king thinking that a earthly man is going to fix all their problem. And God is depressed in heart because he knows that that man is not going to bring the solution like God's leadership would for the nation. And already you see in the Old Testament, the contrast between the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God, and that the only solution for man is the kingdom of God. That's the great Christian hope, that the peace we're looking for, that the society we're looking for, the future we're looking for can only be led through a kingship, and the king is Jesus. So wherever you are at election time, just know it doesn't matter who the president is. They're not holding the keys of the world. We pray for them. We want them to do a good job for our country. Hopefully you do, no matter what political party you're a part of. But man, we need God to move. And so that's why when we're talking about love, we got to talk about it because it's central to the way that God's kingdom works. John, in the book of John, makes such a bold, crazy claim. He says, God is love. And if you think about saying something that God is and embodying him in one word, there's a lot of words you could use to talk about God. God is sovereign. God is powerful. God is all-knowing. God will judge you. God will deal with you. God is justice. But for some reason, John says and feels comfortable to define God by one primary attribute that all of his other attributes are moving out of, and he says that that attribute is love. And in fact, he says, if you don't have love in your heart for your brother, you don't know God. If you don't have love in your heart, 
you don't know anything about who God is. And so how do we know what love is? We know that Jesus, right, is a reflection of the Father. If you want to know what God the Father is like, you look at Jesus. If you want to know what the unseen God, the God of the universe, right, the God who created space, time, and matter, right, science has discovered that all three of those things are created realities. Well, they wouldn't say created, maybe some of them were from the atheist persuasion. They don't know how they got there, but they know that they became into being. So our God that lives out of space and time and matter, I don't even know how that works. That blows up my mind. It's like interstellar times 20. If you want to know what that God is like that created all the galaxies, our earth, you, everything here, then you look at Jesus. And that Jesus, though, is the definition of love. Because we live in a day and age, right, where what our version of love is different a lot of times than Jesus' version of love. Right, let me, like, can I go a couple things? Like today, for a while, tolerance was like the cool movement. That was like more when I was in high school. It was the coexist movement. It was kind of things like that, a bunch of things like that. And it was like being tolerant of other beliefs was what love was all about. Today, what it is, it's being accepting. It's not just tolerating, but it's accepting going, if you believe that that tree is a God, and you've named it Bill, that if I don't accept that that's your truth, then I'm cool with you worshiping Bill the tree, right? I'm not loving. Or like if you look at a, a relationship with two people, all that's required for it to be positive is just mutual, uh, both people consenting. Consent is what marks a loving, non-abusive relationship, nothing else. So as long as two people are down for whatever, it's all good. That's, that's cool, love. That's amazing. But the problem with Jesus is, is he lives, lives his life based on what we talked about in the Word is on transcendent values of truth, immovable truths that are real forever. Meaning that to Jesus, there is an actual definition for love. Love doesn't change based on the culture you live. And here's what's so offensive about for all of us, is all of us are a product of our time. Whether you want to realize it or not, the way you think is absolutely, absolutely, completely affected by that you are, some of you are not from here, but for the Americans, that you are American, and that you live in the 21st century, that you live and where you're from, you are shaped by our cultural realities. For example, in our culture today in America, we are hyper-individualistic. Hyper-individualistic. So if you go to the East, though, for, those of, uh, for any Asian friends, a lot of those cultures in the East are not hyper-individualistic. There's a broader value for community and family. The highest right is not to sacrifice for yourself to get what you want, your career, but it's to make a better way for your family, immediate nuclear family, and then your community. So it's a more communal way of thinking, right? In the East or in the West, it's about right and wrong. It's about morals. On the East, a lot of times it's about shame and honor. So Jesus is a higher playing field than even our cultures. And he's speaking into what love looks like, showing us what love looks like despite whatever reality of culture you live in. 
And the problem with it is it's, his love is totally countercultural. Is it's totally amazing sometimes and then offensive to pretty much everybody sometimes. Like, for example, he shows mercy to people you feel don't deserve mercy. And then he puts boundaries where you wish you wouldn't put boundaries. So he all of a sudden will go, hey, dude, that's wrong what you're doing. He'll say, repent. He rebukes people constantly. He talks about hell all throughout the Gospels. But somehow what Jesus is saying there is all of that is part of his love. And then at the same time, the person who doesn't deserve mercy, think about this, the thief on the cross, he murdered somebody, he's on the cross, and he says, remember me in paradise, and God says, you're going to be with me on that day. So imagine here for a moment, just imagine for a second, a family member of yours is murdered. The emotion of that. That'd be very intense. I have a friend whose family, he had a fam- she had a family member who was murdered in front of her when she was a child. Extremely traumatic scenario, as you can imagine. You're going to the execution. You're going to, you're, you're waiting for the, the day, it's, it's the day you get the lethal injection. And the person in there, who's been a horrible person their whole life, killed, murdered, not been apologetic, but the last minute says of his life says, Father, forgive me, I, I, I messed up. God's mercy goes, bingo, I've covered you, you're coming to heaven. He shows more mercy than we're comfortable with, and he draws more boundaries than we'd probably draw. This is God's love. God's love is this constant force of being a counter-cultural and the Christian community, right? All of us, if we were called, if we all said yes to being a part of it, we'd be the greatest witness in the world. If that if the Christian church truly embodied the love of Jesus, right? We would absolutely be pulling everybody in because God's love in his day completely was attractional. Yes, his miracles, yes, his power, but it was also what he was saying when he would teach, right? They would say, I've never heard anyone teach like this. I've never heard anyone talk like this. And we see this all throughout history, that people who have loved beyond amazing, where they've laid down their life for an extraordinary life of love, history remembers them. Isn't it amazing that before tech, really before any sort of real, uh, obviously before the internet, Uh, TV, I know at some level, uh, newspapers, but that Mother Teresa in an unknown village in India somehow captures the attention of the world because of how well she loves. That her love is so rare on the earth that everybody stops to look gives her awards and says, and to this day says, we all want to love like Mother Teresa. MLK, man, anything he writes on love, holy smokes, this guy's, I wish we should just read his message on love. Some of my favorite ones I read over and over and over again. We declare days for him. We talk about him. We remember him. We quote him. Why? Because he had a revelation of love that even today in our culture, some people still don't understand and is offensive. Some people think it's weak now. But he embodied the love of Jesus 
And to this day, the waves of his love are still making waves today in our culture. And so for all of us, if we would decide to be that countercultural force of love, and love isn't just a belief. We, we think of love in such a Greek-minded way, right? The Greek way of knowing something is that, that if you mentally know it, that you've learned it. The Hebrew way of knowing something is you have to live it, have experience of it, and then you know it. So if I said, what's patience? I say, are you patient? You go, yeah, I know what patience is. I'm patient. But the question is to a Hebrew, they asked you, is have you ever had to wait longer than you wanted to? Are you patient? So it's not just that, are you a loving person? Because you know that God loves everyone and tells everyone that God loves them and sings how he loves us and journals about his love and can write poems about his love. That doesn't mean that you know anything about love. Because the Bible says, we go back to John, he talks about you don't know love if you're not loving your brother. Jesus is talking about crazy things that if you never visited me in prison, you didn't visit me when I was in need, that anyone who gives a cold cup of water to the least of these, they're giving it, they're doing it unto me. Jesus makes clear the definition of his love is action-oriented, not just a feeling and not just a belief. We have a whole society of Christians who believes that God loves the world, but if you looked at their life, you would never deduce that. You would never deduce that because wouldn't you need to emulate the mission of the God you serve if you really were following that God? And so we live in the society, that's why we have the Senate, that's why we have all these things. There's this Greek-minded passivity that you can live your whole life believing that God loves the world, but never do anything for the world. You live in a small-minded way that really serves yourself your whole life, and you love a few people around you in little bits of ways, and you have moments of love, but you never adopt the full lifestyle of love that Jesus really talked about. For example, from my understanding, there's about uh, a few hundred thousand children right now in the foster care system. Maybe some of you, I don't know everyone's story here. I don't know if you're, some of you are from that system or if you have been orphaned. But I can't imagine not having parents. I can't imagine being a 10-year-old with no parents. There are over 300,000 churches in America. If one family from every church got involved in the foster care system, 100,000 of them are adoptable right now in this moment. We would have, no there would be no children left without loving parents. That's like so doable. But where's the disconnect? Love. The Bible says that the, our love will grow cold. Right? Comfort makes love grow cold. Wealth makes love grow cold. We live in it. Society where, right, he says, hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. We're all rich men here. Did you know you're part of the top 1% of the world? Isn't it funny that we as the America, the richest nation in the world, one of the richest nations in the world, are constantly complaining about what we don't have? <laughs> when most of the world lives on a dollar a day, and we're like, it's not good enough for us. We're so self-focused in our country. We don't care about the world. We care about me, care about what I'm getting, what I'm going to do. And you see how Jesus' mindset of love is completely opposed to this. We prophesy Jesus movements. We prophesy all kinds of things. I love prophecies. I love declarations. I'm all about them. I do them all the time. 
But if there's no action to that for your life, then why did you declare all those things? Easy to declare them. Hard to do them. And the problem is this, is that when you say yes to love, you're really saying yes to losing your life. That's the truth. So can we get into this for a moment? I want to zero in on a specific aspect of love for a moment. I want to zero in on that love sees opportunity. That love sees opportunity. There's so many facets of love that we can talk about, but that love sees opportunity. And this idea is directly connected to the idea of servanthood that we find in Jesus' life. And so Jesus, right, he says, I have come not to be served, but to serve, to lay my life down as a ransom for many. We see in Philippians 2, right, it's the moment where he says he's emptying himself to serve humanity. He's consistently rebuking all of his guys saying, look, the point of life is not for you. The point of life is for others, for others. See, real love is other-centered. Real love is other-centered. That's why marriage in Scripture is a reflection, is a metaphor in a weird, crazy way of God's love for the church. And that's why marriage is supposed to, when you get married one day, I hate this phrase where it's like about being 50-50 in. I do something for him, he does something for me, and we got a good deal of operating system. That's not love. That's not what the Bible's talking about. What the Bible's talking about is that you're 100% in to lay your life down for the other person regardless of their response. Because that's God's love for you. God's willing to lay his life down your whole 85 years and for you to resist him, for you to make fun of him, for you to persecute his friends, for you to yell at him for you to live for yourself, but he will lay his life down for you to the very end, hoping that you'll turn to him. That's our, that's our God. That's our God. And so the point of life is that when you begin to adopt the message of Jesus and you begin to adopt his lifestyle is your life has to begin to become other focused. Have you noticed that in your life, the times you're most swirled, you're most focused on yourself? The worst moments in your life are the moments that you're most focused on yourself. Isn't that true? Have you ever gotten those seasons where you're just always trying to work on your own problems? You know, you're like, I just need a season of healing. Okay, sweet. That sounds right. I like it. Keep going. Yeah, I'm just going to take a season just to kind of focus on just me and God for a while. Just focus on what I'm doing. And why is it that everyone that does those seasons ends up being more jacked up by the end of their healing, more confused by the middle of their healing? It's because the pathway that Jesus is teaching you is not to keep looking deeper and deeper and deeper in yourself. Jesus is trying to get you to look up and look somewhere else. Right? Your relationship with God is dictated by you looking up at him, not looking inward yourself. Navel gazing is not going to help you get closer to God. Just like looking at your phone isn't going to help you get closer to your date. Do you see what I'm saying? And in the same way, you're not going to grow in love for other people unless your attention is on other people. That means that, that what you care about, what motivates you, what keeps you going is deeply rooted not just in love for God, but in love for somebody else other than yourself. And I think what's so interesting 
is that we have a huge culture of, of self-love in our, our, our culture. It's all, all over Instagram. You can follow like millions of like the coolest design self-love pop psychology Instagram posts. You just need to love yourself more and then you're gonna become really awesome and love other people. Okay, two funny things about this. C.S. Lewis points out in his book, Mere Christianity, he takes an ax to this idea. <laughs> it's really convicting. Totally, you should go read it. He's gonna do a lot better saying what it, his point than I'm about to try to say his point. Essentially, here's the truth, is you already love yourself a lot. All of us do. What is, we all primarily think about ourselves all day. We are all the primary concern of our own life, nearly 90% of the time. <laughs> right, when we go to church, how often do we leave it? Our first consideration is how do we like that today? What was my experience like? You may not like yourself, but that's not what the Bible says. You love your neighbor like, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Meaning the Bible is saying that you need to make a priority of other people as much as you would make a priority about yourself. So we have this crazy weird idea that the more that we can just get into loving every aspect of who we are, do you waste your whole life on that. You waste your whole life on that, trying to like the way you look, trying to like your personality, trying to get rid of all your sin issues, all your stronghold patterns, then believing that at some point when you really are accepting yourself and loving yourself fully, then that's when you're going to be a-okay to go love everybody else. But by the time you did that, you're going to be old, have kids, and the opportunity to lay your life down for others in a way like you had the opportunity right now in this season and laid a foundation in this season and found the right spouse who wants to do this for the rest of your life in this season, it'll be too late. Yeah. <laughs> Are you tracking with me for a moment? Yeah. Tim Keller makes this crazy point. He says that really the Bible is not really about self-love is, or, 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 or like just kind of this weird hatred of self. You also get the other side of the spectrum. It's all, you kind of, it's more of the reformed world. And I love my reformed friends and I'm partly reformed. Um, and so we don't even know what that means. That's fine. You can learn about in field training someday. But they, they're more like, you'll hear things like, we're, I'm just like a worm before God. I'm just broken. They're always emphasizing their sin and how low they are before God. And then you got another on the other side, they're always trying to work on their, their love for themselves and their acceptance of their self. When Tim Keller, he says, the Bible kind of makes more of a, uh, a, a, a point right down the middle. He says it's more about self-forgetfulness. Self-forgetfulness that you get so busy in the business of focus on God and focus on others that you kind of just forget about yourself a little bit in a healthy way. Because here's the deal, if I'm just trying to rate, like, am I looking good today? I'll be in that my whole life. And you know what? All of you are gonna get older and start looking worse. Two of you are gonna get the George Clooney effect and start looking way better. But the rest of us, <laughs> the rest of us, right, is we're gonna be looking worse and worse and worse and worse. Can you imagine if you had to wait to like the way you look to start loving the world? When you say it out loud, how selfish are you? How jacked up are you of a person to believe that? <laughs> like, I, until I can figure out how to accept my own Myers-Briggs, I really can't love other people well. 
I'm gonna do the Enneagram again and try to work on myself a little bit more so that I can really love other people. You'd be like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Kids don't have parents right now. And you're working on whether, <laughs> right, whether your look is right and your image is good and your personality's right and you're navel gazing, thinking that God's primary concern is dealing with every little area of your sin and all of a sudden you become some whacked out Pharisee. Focus on your complete holiness meter all day. Focused on your image, forgetting the reason why God is trying to do something through your life. Man, I should quit, but we're going to keep going. Can we go to Matthew 9? If you got your Bible, Matthew 9. And so this idea... This idea of living other focused, though, this idea of seeing opportunity starts with something so important that you have to develop for your life. And it's this, it's seeing like God sees. Everything in love starts with actual seeing, meaning understanding, meaning looking in the way that God looks and not looking in the way that we look. Matthew 9 says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. But look at the key word. It's when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. So much of what Jesus is trying to do in your life is to see. Is to see. He is constantly working on the paradigm of his disciples all throughout their development. And they're continuously not getting it. They're worried about their position. They're worried about if they're going to be known by others. They are filled with jealousy and comparison and competition with other ministry groups. Some of them are calling, wanting to call down fire on their competitors. They're getting their moms to come talk to Jesus about being in charge. I mean, it's some real embarrassing TMZ type of shallow business going on. And you got some guys on the team, specifically Judas, who's stealing the whole time, who's listening to everything but couldn't give a rip. It's just waiting for his exit to, to, to take advantage of the whole situation. Doesn't understand who Jesus is. And the whole time, what is he helping the guys do? Who do you say that I am? Come on, get this time. Who am I? Who do you see that I am? Uh, 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 and then finally, towards the end, we get it. You're God. Bingo. You did it. You did it. That's the first step. Jesus is so proud. He's like, all right, mission one, focus, good. But now it's the second job is do you see other people? Because I didn't come just to save you for you. Right, Your relationship is between you and God, but your calling is for other people. The reason God's given you gifts are not for you. None of your gifts are for you. That's why the prosperity gospel is so goofy. 
man of God just jumping around up there, believing they just need your offering and they deserve your money because their gifts is about them. When their gifts have nothing to do with them, their gift is as much as a mercy as all of us being saved. They have nothing to do with their gifts. Their gifts are a gift from God that no matter what you've done, no matter how good your quiet time is, you didn't do anything to earn that. It was a gift given to you to help somebody else. Are you tracking with me right now? And so God is working on his disciples and they're all fighting. He's going, guys, don't you get it? Don't you get it? The least of you, the greatest servant is the highest in my kingdom. Man, don't you get it, guys? The guy rushing in to the head of the table for the place of honor. You don't understand. It's about elevating everybody else. Oh, and they're like, they're kind of getting it. And they finally get it in the book of Acts and become crazy men. They get the focus of the mission because the Great Commission lands and they go, oh, all of this training wasn't just for me and God to sit by myself in eternal quiet time. All of this training and investment from Jesus was for a purpose and for a mission. And every single one of us is called into this mission the rest of our life. In seasons where you have a job, in seasons when you're in full-time ministry, in seasons if you're in another nation, in seasons where you have kids, in seasons where you have grandkids, in seasons where your marriage is easy, in seasons when your marriage is hard, in seasons where things are going good, in seasons when things are going bad, in seasons where you're loaded, in seasons when you're broke, in seasons where your friends are successful and you're not succeeding, in seasons of waiting, in seasons of busyness, it doesn't change, you're a part of the mission. Paul is the apostle while he's building tents. Paul is the apostle when he's planting the church. Paul's the apostle when he's teaching. Paul's the apostle when he's doing street evangelism. He doesn't leave the mission, but if you're gonna live in the mission, the only way to do it is it's not good enough to know about the mission and know there's a great commission. It's that you have to get gripped with how God sees. You have to let your whole life be driven by what you're going to see. And when Jesus sees, what does he see? He says, the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. The solution is there. We just need people to work on it. That's what he's saying. The solution is there. We need people to work on it. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're like people without godly, loving leadership. So he's looking at you right now. And whatever place he's going to take you in your life, he has an ambition of love for people. That may or may not be your passion. God's not always primarily concerned with your passion. Did you know that? Jesus wasn't very passionate about dying on the cross. <laughs> He's not just coming to like fit like your passion quiz right now. Does that make sense? Like everyone has a passion to reach Hollywood. But the Bible never talks about reaching rich leaders all day. The primary message of the scripture is reaching the poor and the oppressed, the disenfranchised. Who has a heart for that? Everyone's like, oh yeah, I kind of do. Yeah, okay. Really though? Do you think about it? How often? 
God's passion is for the whole world to know him. But how often can we even get out of our own hometown thinking about that? You see what I'm saying? God's passion, heart of love is so much bigger. And he's saying, hey, I'm looking at this issue, but it's a labor issue. I'm looking at human trafficking, but it's a labor issue. I'm looking at your high school and it's a labor issue. I'm looking at the colleges of America and it's a labor issue. I'm looking at your cities, it's a labor issue. I'm looking at the part of your town that's destroyed in poverty and it's a labor issue. And my question is, who are these laborers? They're lovers of Jesus who are consumed with love for others and willing to do what Jesus did was make the definition of the purpose of their life to serve others before they even serve themselves. And we wait as Christians for like the critical mass of momentum. That's like typical, you know? It's like we'll get in when the victory's had. It's easy to like participate in a victory already had, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's easy to say now, like, I would have marched with them, okay? Well, everyone knows that racism is bad now, so it's not really that big of a deal. It is, but it shouldn't be that big of a leap like it was for that day, if you're really honest with yourself. So, like, what about today? Like, am I, I'm just going to go there. The Bible clearly talks about life. God cares about every child. In fact, the Bible has a focus on children. He rebukes the disciple for not letting the children come to him. How crazy is that? He rebukes him and says, and if you make a child stumble, it'd be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and chuck yourself in the ocean. I think we're at 60 million unborn children aborted in the womb. Jesus cares about that. It's not controversial in the Bible. It's life. It's the image of God. How many, man, how many times we go, I wish we had leaders today. I wish there was more good leadership choices. Maybe we had them, but we got rid of them. What about standing for issues like that? See, that's where love comes in. What about when it's not as popular, when it's controversial? That's how you know, like, how strong your love is. Is you're willing to stand for things when it's not popular. God loves immigrants. The Bible's clear on immigration. Jesus loves immigrants. And he even makes room for illegal immigrants. Oh no! The Bible's not talking about open borders and crazy policies, but the Bible's talking about compassion for immigrants. That crossing the border is an act of bravery if you're trying to make a better future for your children. The Bible's super clear on these issues, but where are we gonna stand with him? In love. And not just in your mind, but with your life. See, the problem with our two-party system is there's a little bit of truth in both, but the kingdom of God is rebuking both and thumbs and upping a few things in both. Are you tracking with me right now? And so Jesus is going, I need you to see and I need you to love. Let's, can we continue forward? I'll land a plane. I'm going long today. I want to go to... Matthew 25. I'm going to summarize it. We won't read through it. I'm sorry, not Matthew 25. Excuse me. Oh, I lost my, I lost my, my place here. 
the Good Samaritan. I, I, uh, can someone look up the verse? Of the, I just had it, but I lost it here. The Good Samaritan. Oh, here we go. Got it. Luke 10. Luke 10. So now it comes down to this moment. The religious Pharisees are trying to buffer their life on what does it look like to love my neighbor. They're trying to lessen the definition of love because they throw some money here and they follow all of God's laws. And they go, what does it look to love my neighbor? And they're trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus throws the gauntlet down saying, this is what it looks like to love your neighbor. When you're wondering, love your neighbor as yourself, here we go. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God in all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring on oil and wine. Then he sat, set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him and whatever you spend I will repay you when I am come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said to the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. See right here Jesus is making a dividing line. Both of the religious people knew the right thing to do in their heart, but made a religious excuse. And while they were following God, did not see like God. Did not see like God. They walked on the other side and kept cruising to their appointment. That is like how tons of Christians live today. They're rushing to their church service and they're rushing back to focus on their own life. And they're missing the whole point of why they're here. They're wondering why their life is boring. They're wondering why life is difficult. They're wondering why they have no purpose. It's because they have not jumped truly in to the mission of God and fully seeing the society, their world, their influence, like Jesus is seeing it. And then a Samaritan who at that time, right, there's a tremendous racism between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. In fact, to call someone a Samaritan was like saying, using a derogatory term. And so he's blatantly making the hero of this story someone that everyone listening would hate. Everyone they would say is not a hero. And he says the Samaritan sees the man and has compassion on him. The same word compassion there is the same word used in Matthew 9, which is to be deeply moved in your guts is what it means. To be deeply moved in your guts. Have you ever been so moved, so bothered by something you couldn't sleep? Remember the first time I heard someone explain human trafficking to me and explain that tons of them are children and that they have to service someone sometimes 20 times a day and that they're trapped and there's no way out. 
And I thought about that if that was my daughter or my son, because it's both boys and girls. And I couldn't sleep. I, could, I was bothered for a whole week. I, I didn't know what to do. I just was, ugh, couldn't believe it. I remember the first time I went to a, I was invited to a fraternity party. I was uh, to do outreach. The guy liked me because he said I was a loving guy and invited me to come and I went in there to do outreach at a Halloween party. And the lack of love in that house was so disturbing. Everett, the guys were just like animals. Just like, it was like being in a strange moment where like guys are just like preying on women. Trying to get women drunk, trying to pull women into rooms. The whole night we're just trying to, help this not turn into a crazy disaster zone. I left, I never can sleep after I'm around environments like that. Because I just think about my sister being on that, on that campus, 18 year old and some 20 year old man, 21 year old man, 22 year old man, trying to do something crazy and then hearing all the stories behind the scenes of how much drugs are in there and how they're never prosecuted. You walk, you go three blocks down with this particular university and it's a really impoverished area and the police are constantly patrolling and arresting and putting people in for jail. But all these upper class people have even harder drugs in their fraternities, are doing drugs, and then date raping women. And then instead of going to the police, they pay off the other sororities so they can keep their fraternity open and the school looks a blind eye and they look a blind eye to each other. Who is the voice for justice in this situation? Where is the voice of love? And I cannot sleep. When is the last time you got so bothered you could not sleep? When is the last time that you really thought about people and the worst of all things is to be separated from God? Great, you improve someone's temporary life to be separated for eternity. Sweet, dude, love it. But when's the last time you got bothered for your generation? When's the last time you looked at your generation and you were deeply moved in your guts? See, this is where the conviction of Jesus comes in. It comes in and it confronts us. And it says, when was the last time that you've seen the world like me? Because when Jesus saw the world, it was worth him coming and dying for it. That's how deeply he was moved. He was sweating blood in the garden of Gethsemane and says to God, not my will, but your will be done. That's the kind of love he's looking at the world with. And so all of you, what kind of love are we looking at the world with? Are we looking into love that aligns with our passions and doing it for moments? See, this is the problem is the priest and the Levite. This wasn't just a one-time mistake. This is how they lived their life. You love like your lifestyle loves. You, you can be guilty into doing moments, but you won't adopt a lifestyle of love unless you really see. The Samaritan loved like that because I'm sure that that man, whoever he was, loved like that all the time. It was his policy not to look away. Because the problem is, is we don't want to see because once we see, we're responsible. Once we see, you lose your life. Once you see and you say yes to God, your life isn't your own anymore. Your life belongs to something else. It belongs to God and it belongs to his passions of what he wants to do in your life. 
This is why people become pastors. This is why people work for crazy agencies trying to solve things. This is why people go to colleges to get degrees, to go move to other nations. Missionaries really are not these, you know, there's all these different kinds of uh, uh, criticisms of missionaries today, but here's the thing. Missionaries have so much love, they're willing to leave their own people, go be another person's people and say, this is my people now. It's such a great, intense love. They're saying, I'm willing to give up everything comfortable and go be an outsider somewhere else so that those people can know the love that I've known. Francis Chan tells this crazy story of this missionary who went to live in this uh, obscure tribe somewhere else. He was a, uh, and he lived there spreading the gospel, planting churches his whole life. He comes back to the state because he's in ailing health and he's there for a month and he goes, these are not my people anymore. He tells his children, I have to go back. Goes to the dentist because his teeth were what was giving the problem. Has the dentist pull out every single tooth so he would never have to have dental work again. Gets dentures and flies for the last two years of his life to serve and then dies in a foreign land. You don't do that because you're radical. You don't do that because you're extreme. You don't do that because you have a special gift and calling. You do that because you have a love that's so much higher than everybody else. Love is the fuel of why you do these things. Love is the fuel of how your world will be big. The smaller your love, the smaller your world will be your whole life. And the worst is if your whole world is yourself. That's hell. That's going to be a life of torment, a life of struggle. And the question is for you coming out of this DTS is how willing are you to let your love grow? How big are you willing to let your love? How much control are you willing to give up? How much of flexibility are you willing to have? How much inconvenience are you ready to let your life be driven by? How much cost are you willing to pay for someone else to have something that you have? These are the questions. And the higher you say yes, the bigger your world will be. That's why God has the ultimate love because he loves the whole world. He loves every single person with the same force of love at the same time. And individual way and never gets tired and never quits and never takes a nap and never stops caring and never pulls out of the situation, never needs a mental health break. He's fully engaged all of the time, constantly. He is sitting with the girl who's in trauma right now, weeping with her, and he is celebrating with the man who's just overcome his addiction. That's our God. He's throwing a party for the kid who just got saved on TikTok. And he's interceding with the father for that man who is addicted to drugs and ruining his family. For that family to be reconciled. This is our God. This is why he's love. This is why his love is so much higher than our love. Because when we love, I have to take a break from love sometimes. It's too heavy to carry the world's problems all the time. I need a mental health break. I need a break. But that's not God. And so the invitation for all of us is... Will you let this kind of love rule your life? And this kind of love is how you find your calling. It's not a spiritual gifts test because your spiritual gifts are just out the door. You just have to fill a need. You just got a gift to help in whatever way you can when you see need. I'll end with this, the parable of talents. The truth is, is not all of us don't have the same level of talent. So you have less talent, some of you have more talent, so you have medium talent. But here's the problem. You can spend your whole life comparing what you have 
or it's just true. We all have varying degrees of opportunity. We have all varying degrees of advantages, gifts, all these type of things. And you really don't know all that's inside of you. So it's really tough to determine. You got one, two, or three talents. What do you got? Super hard to know, isn't it? Because how much of us were way cooler than we think most of the times? Get your original like, oh wow, I'm actually got things I'm way more dope than I think by myself. That's awesome. We're human, we're bad judges of ourselves. But here's the thing. We're all Americans for the most part. And if you're not an American, you're here in America, it means you had some financial means to come. So chances are that right now we have the most opportunity, the most access the most ability, the most education, the most Bible teaching, the most community, the most programs, the most finances, even if you're from a poor background compared to the world. And the problem with the most is that means that the yes to love is a harder ask because there's more to give up. That's why it's easy for someone who comes from nothing to love because that's all they ever had. But if you have everything and you have access to everything, your yes to love is also a no to a ton of other things. Your yes to give up your life is no to a traditional career and a traditional this and a traditional that. No, 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 no to love. But here's the deal. God at the end of your days is gonna sit with you and he's gonna go, how did you invest your love? Did you bury it in the ground? Did you just kind of give a tithe and make your pastor love for you? Did you support some charities? Pass off your responsibility love and just let those five guys that are always there doing way too much, never enough resources try to fix the world for you? Or is it going to go, did you invest your life? What cost were you willing to pay? And it all comes back to, will you start that journey and see? How moved are you willing to be? That's a supernatural experience. And that's where humility comes in and says, that's the crazy confrontation is I've had so many times I go, God, I'm on fire for you, but I'm unmoved in love. God, I have never cried a tear for my generation. God, I have never cared about becoming evangelist. I've just been concerned whether I'm going to be comfortable doing it or not. God, I've never, I've never thought about I could be an answer to some kind of disenfranchised scenario. I've never, I've had, I've, I've all these kind of passions to be a part of things, but I I never act on them. God, why don't I act on them? God, change my heart. Deal with me. Do something in me. Because here's the deal. If you give your life to love, your whole life will be different. You will marry a different person. You will marry a different person. You will raise your kids in a different way. Your kids will become different people. You will have more friends than you know what to do with because the people you're serving will become your friends. You will have more fulfillment than me giving you a million bucks. That's why I have so many wealthy friends who are so unfulfilled. And I have so many friends who barely make anything in circuit riders that are living twice the life. They never get to Cabo in that five-star hotel. 
but they got more joy eating their Chick-fil-A sandwich on that campus, giving their 20s to seeing other people come to know Jesus than that kid over there who's got the best internship and hates his life and looks at our Instagram saying, I wish I could be there and do what they're doing. Look at our opportunity. Look at what God's offering for you. Give your life to love. I do not have a prophetic word for college campus ministry over my life. Do you know that? I don't. I never had a tremendous passion for it, but I saw a need. I got gripped in love. And nine years later, here I am. When you, you'll get rid of your commitment fears if you fall in love with something enough. <laughs> right? So get in love with others. Get in love with the need. Get in love with something outside of yourself and throw your life into it. Of course you don't know what you're gonna do. Neither did I. That's what love does, right? It finds a way. You like that girl enough? You don't have any money? You get creative. You'll find a way. The same goes for loving other people well. You'll find a way. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much. We love your love. But Lord, we're not gonna hog your love our whole life and just endlessly receive it and never give it away. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, and this is your prayer, I want you to agree with me. God, grip our hearts with your love. Grip our hearts with your love. Let us see like you see. Jesus, we repent of self-focus. Jesus, we repent of an idolatry of self-love. Jesus, we repent about what we want and our stuff and our things and our passions and trying to find the perfect position that fulfills all of our little wants. God, that's a joke. We give it up. And Jesus, we say we want to see like you see. We want to love like you love. We want to see the fields. We want to see the opportunities and actually not just mentally believe it, but see it for ourselves and be moved with compassion and say solution can come. A harvest can come. God, I pray for every man. May they lead in love. May they give their life to love. May they be defined by love. Every woman, Lord, let them lead in love. Let them be defined by love, God. Let them give their life for love. Jesus, lead us to losing our life for other people. Jesus, lead us to losing our life for other people. God, we get rid of all of our excuses that are just self-focused, God. It's not about us. It's not about our personality. It's not about our gift. It's about real problems and real people and real needs. Jesus, grip our hearts. Grip our hearts. Grip our hearts. Lord, move us over this Thanksgiving break. God, move us over this December break. Lord, move us on our tours. Move us and carry the love, God. Disturb our reality. Disturb our normalcy. Disturb our comfort. Holy Spirit, we invite you in. Ruin our lives. Break our normals. Burn our bridges, Jesus. Lord, help us get addicted to loving like you love. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Thanks for listening to a Circle Rider podcast. For our full library of podcasts and more information about the Circuit Riders, visit us at circuitriders.com. 
To access worship, messages, and training courses, visit us at CircRiders.tv. To get involved with the day-to-day of what we do or see what's happening across the globe, you can follow us at CircuitRiders on Instagram. And finally, don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time.